For those who are joining us for the first time, my name is Black and I'm the Young Adults Pastor. Um, and uh, today we are concluding our series called Obsolete or Absolute Church. And the heart of the series really was just trying to ask the question if we still need church. Um, has the past two years proven that church is obsolete? We don't need it. It's an old institution. It's been 2,000 years. We need to move on. Um, and try something else? Um, or, or does God know what he's doing? And he hasn't changed his mind about his church. Um, and, and I think asking, those, asking that question, um, I think the, natu- the second natural thing is then if, if the church is obsolete, how do we, what do we replace it with? And that's why we had the various topics that we looked at. Um, are these other things better alternatives um, to the church? So is money and sex better than the church? Politics, um, isms, um, are, th- are they better than the church? And so that's, that's what we've been looking at. And there's obviously various questions that guys have asked, and we're going to ask uh, a very esteemed panel uh, of very, very knowledgeable, wise, wise men, uh, I feel I feel like a mere mortal among uh, these giants of the faith around me. Um, that's why your mic is off. That's why, because you're about to lie. Uh, so thanks, Gareth. I, I thought it was a boy band. <laughs> so the, the color coding works. The green in the middle, is, the, the lead singer stands out. Yeah, yeah hundreds, hundreds. <laughs> Cool. Uh, so, guys, uh, I'm just going to briefly introduce the panel, and then I think what we should do, um, especially if you haven't caught up with the series, I'll ask each um, uh, panelist to give a summary of, of their talk, very brief um, summary of what they spoke about, and, and it will give us an idea um, um, of the, I think, the answers that they're going to give um, in light of the questions we have. And to say that if you have a question as we're um, chatting, you can either raise your hand and ask your question, or if you feel shy, please get a pen, write it down, and Pastor Kobedi will get it from you, um, and then we'll, we'll answer, gladly answer that question as well. We'll, we'll start off with Reverend Lamiki, um, if you could. Um, sorry, sorry, that's Reggie, by the way. I said I'm going to introduce everyone. That's Reverend uh, uh, Reggie Lamiki. That's uh, Reverend Royden Frost. Uh, Reverend Dr. Frost. Uh, this is Reverend uh, Raphael. So this is the R Trinity, the... <laughs> The most anointed reverence of the church, and then comes us. Ah, uh, and then I said my name already, and this is Reverend uh, Gareth Mags as well. That's why your mic is off. Uh, cool, <laughs> Reggie, if you could please uh, just give us a summary of of what you spoke about, and then uh, Royden, Rafa, myself, and then Gareth. trying to figure out um, how has the church found themselves obsolete or irrelevant as it, as it comes to these topics. And last week, if you remember anything, um, I'm 
you said last week was, I think we realize that the church uh, often finds um, itself not portraying the message of the gospel, living out the message of the gospel. When we live, when we live our lives in the old nature that Jesus has rescued us from, so if you remember last week I said, all of us are prejudiced. That's how it became the talk. All of us are prejudiced, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, but that's how we are. Uh, we tend to exclude other people, especially when the other is different from us, when they can never be like us, when we are threatened by them, or when we feel like we are right in doing so, in excluding them. We looked at a number of examples in history where you see that. I mean, we even looked at a number of examples in the passage that we looked at last week, Ephesians 2, that said, you would have found how Jews and Gentiles related to each other in the church, that they would have found ways to exclude each other. We said, Gentiles would have called Jews, you, they would have called them the circumcised, they would have called them primitive. And we know that Jews would have found ways to exclude uh, Gentiles by using circumcision and many other things. And we said, these things are not just about religion, but partly about ethnicity. And we said, you can look at how people of different classes, the rich and poor, would have related to each other in the church. You would have seen that. You would have seen it in how men and women relate to each other. I read a few quotes to you last week, which I want to read once again. Um, Black said brief, and I'm never close to brief. But listen to this. Thanks for the sermon. Um. <laughs> Beautiful words. Listen to this. Uh, when you and I are faced with people whose actions and views we disapprove of, we have many options. We can be angry at them. We can show concern. We can try and reform them, persuade them, or reprimand them. But more often than not, we choose exclusion without restraint. We choose to banish or cast away. Listen to this other one. Hostility between human beings is not an invention of the 21st century. It has been rampant since the fall of humanity when we chose to be hostile to God. Alienation between individuals, nations, races, and even hostility among Christians is not, is not a stranger to us. Nothing is more dehumanizing than this breakdown of relationships. It is dehumanizing. And it's actually not God's plan for what he had for humanity. And so as we come to Ephesians, where we see that God wants to put everything under Jesus, one of the things he wants to show us is how we can live the truly human life, how we can live as disciples, how we can live as people that are part of his new humanity. And last week, if you remember anything, we said the only way you and I can move away from excluding others is when we realize that we are sinful and that we are broken and that we act in this way because we are sinful. And if you remember last week, I even said, I think some of the disappointments from people with the church have come because they forget that we are sinful, peop sinful people. Yes, God has saved us, but we are sinful and uh, a, sa a saint at the same time, uh, as one uh, person said, Luther. We are sinner and a saint at the same time. That's, that's what you and I are. And very often people get disappointed with the church when they forget that. But when we admit that, then we realize that this Jesus has come to first embrace us by uniting us to God, and then he helps us to be united to each other. So by being embraced by him, we begin to live lives that embrace one another. So what is the motive for us, different people of different classes, different sexes, different ethnicities? How can we make sure that we don't exclude others? We can make sure that we don't exclude others when we realize that God did not exclude us. We who are sinful, we who, de who deserve to be excluded by him. 
God includes us into his family, embraces us by excluding his son, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And we said that last week. And this then becomes our motive for living differently. Listen to this last quote that I read for us last week. I love this quote because it explains what the gospel is about. Listen to this. Um, when God acted in Jesus the Messiah, he not only revealed himself fully, he revealed fully what genuine human life was like. And it turns out to be deeply sacrificial. If you want to see the, 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 what human life is, looks like, it is deeply sacrificial. What does life in the church look like? It's deeply sacrificial. You know that you, will, you have tendencies to exclude others. But because you know what God has done for you, you act differently towards them. You embrace them because you've been embraced. Cool. Uh, guys, we'll see you next week, Sunday. Uh, <laughs> okay, so um, I think my talk was a good five, six weeks ago. So I don't remember it, but I'll expect you to. <laughs> but I will do my best to give us a brief refresh. It was really just setting the groundwork for the whole, um, for every topic that we were going to explore. Um, Black opened up in his preamble, he was talking about, um, does God know what he's doing? Mm. Um, and to answer that question, we need to know what God is doing. Mm. And that's, where th that's what we arrive at if we have anything like a close look at Ephesians 1, which was the passage that Haley read to us this evening. It's a praise poem, and uh, it's, it's a celebration of what God is doing. And what we find is that it climaxes in verse 10 with, uh, and this is what God is doing from eternity to eternity. So this is what God is doing with all of history. Before we can ask, answer the question, what is God doing with the church? Or even the question, what is God doing with my life? Uh, it's worth us knowing what God is doing with everything. And Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 tells us. Uh, it gives us a clue before it climaxes. It gives us a clue by mentioning in Christ or in Him seven, eight, nine times, just in those verses. So we're asking the question, what is God doing with all of eternity? What is God doing with history? And we get in Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Him, in Christ, over and over and over again until we reach a climax in verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Uh, another way to read that, if you read another version, you might hear to place all things under him. Uh, God's purpose for all of history is to place everything under the saving lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. And so um, once we know that, it's, it becomes our true north. We now have a sense of what, if, if that's what God is doing, well, surely the purpose of the church must align with that. Right? So once we know what God is doing, is there any point in doing anything else? And so the purpose of the church becomes very clear. Uh, as a church, we align with that. And we do it whatever we can we, we avail ourselves to the Lord and we are used of him to bring everything 
under the saving lordship of Jesus Christ. That means our own lives, and that means the lives of those who don't know him, and that means the lives of our brothers and sisters. Uh, we do whatever we can to help them bring everything under the saving lordship of Jesus Christ. And once we know that, once we have our true north, once we have our bearings, uh, then it, it gives us, and you heard it in the language that Reggie used, it really gives us um, orientation in approaching each of these questions. If God is placing everything under the saving lordship of Jesus Christ, well, then it, it gives us a great foundation for thinking about the isms, for thinking about sex, for thinking about politics, for thinking all of the, all of the topics we deal with. And so that was really our, that's, that's where we started five, six weeks ago, is asking, okay, well, what is God doing? How does the church fit into that? How does my life fit into that? Our job is simply to align ourselves with what God is doing. And my topic was uh, when church meets uh, money and sex, uh, which was a very um, kind of interesting topic uh, because I did not say anything new that you guys did not know, uh, but I just fit everything in the into the perspective of what uh, Redon has just mentioned here. If this is what uh, God is doing, uh, how do we approach money? How do we approach sex? And uh, we saw that money and sex give a very serious temptation to all of us uh, because if we do not let our identity in Christ uh, define how we approach money and sex, uh, they can destroy us, they can destroy the church. And when we looked at the question of money, uh, especially chapter 4, verse 28, uh, we saw that there were uh, different ways that people steal, uh, starting from just stealing money or just avoiding taxes uh, or you know, when you overprice your items for business or when you um, steal your employer's time, all those kinds uh, of stealing. Um, and we touched the question, why do people steal? Um, and uh, there were so many reasons, but the obvious one that we dealt with uh, was that of greed. And we saw that greed uh, was just an excessive desire either for money, wealth, or possession. And we saw how our greed affects us because, you know, I always want more than what I have now. Uh, not just that, but I always want more than others have. Uh, and that's how greed uh, destroys us. And uh, we also had that one question that I still want an answer up to today, which is what is enough money? So I still need an answer. If you have an answer to that question, I would love you to, to give me the answer to that question, what is enough money? Uh, so also we saw that the remedy uh, to all of this, uh, just as Paul says, is just to give away. Uh, are you, can you give? Uh, can you give your money away? Uh, you just want to accumulate for yourself. And then we also looked at the question of sex. Um, we saw that uh, the sexual sin uh, was very, very uh, big into the church in Ephesus. Uh, just because of uh, the environment that they were in. Uh, they were worshipping one of their goddess, uh, who was Diana. And to worship that goddess, they were involving themselves in all kind of uh, sexual deviation. 
So when Paul was writing to believers, he wanted them to be different. Why? Because of what God has been doing through, uh, through the church, which is bringing everything under the headship of Jesus. So their lives, the way they lived in their world should be different from others. Why? Because they belong to God. They are God's new societies. And then we saw how uh, us today, uh, it's even relevant because uh, we don't have Diana uh, to worship, but Diana has come to us just with the internet that we have. You don't need to go far, but you have everything uh, with you. And uh, uh, we saw that uh, because uh, of who we are in Christ, again, so we should be different uh, from uh, the world around us uh, in the way we approach money, in the way we approach sex. Uh, sex is a gift from God. God is the one who invented it. And it's in a very specific context, which is the context of marriage between one man, one woman um, in a loving and faithful uh, relationship. Uh, that's where sex is to be practiced. So no uh, fornication, no uh, adultery, and no same-sex marriage. Uh, so that's not what the Bible says. And then in conclusion, uh, we say that in chapter 4 and 5, what Paul is more concerned about is the unity and the purity of the church. And this is not just a moral lesson that he's giving to the people, but he's reminding them of what God has done, which is what Redem said us. He's bringing everything under the headship of Jesus. And if this is what God is, is busy doing, uh, so we who are part of those who have been redeemed, we should live a different life. We should approach money and sex in a very different way. And just a few things that I wanted us to remember when uh, we closed our talk, uh, we say that, remember that all of us, we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Uh, that's what chapter 2, uh, verse 1 and 2 says. And then also we needed to remember that it's only by God's grace that we are part of God's family. We are part of what God is busy doing. And that was chapter 2, 4 to 10. And also we remember that Christ is the head of the church. So if you are a believer, you know that Christ is the head of the church. And finally, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Uh, so whenever you sin, whether through adultery or fornication or any other kind of sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Um, so those were just a few things that we looked at today. Thanks, Roth. Um, so I, I spoke about uh, how the church, when the church meets politics. Um, I think the first thing I tried to do is not just limit the conversation around formal politics, um, because I don't think most of us are intimately involved in formal politics in that way. Um, um, I think most of us in this room are not card-carrying members of a political party, so we're not registered to a political party. We voted for one, if we voted, um, in our last elections, but... But we, and we might engage in politics by reading articles, chatting to people. Um, but what I try to do is broaden the definition of politics so that it can include um, all of us. Um, and um, I think it was Derek Grant who uh, kind of helped us with a, a very helpful definition of what politics is. But in a nutshell, he described worldviews. Um, and he said that politics is everything that we do. So it's not just when we uh, go put an X in the ballot uh, paper or when we put a bumper sticker of our favorite political party, 
but when we use our money, we're doing politics. When we critique uh, various um, uh, medias, we're doing politics. When we do our grocery shopping, et cetera, et cetera. So politics is, uh, in one sense, how we, we do life. Um, and so I summarize that in, in um, what is known as a worldview, how you see the world and how your worldview informs how you move in the world. Um, and all of us have a worldview sitting here. Um, and, and so the, the thing I was trying to hammer at is um, from Ephesians 5, um, how is the Christian worldview better than any worldview that uh, you currently hold? Um, so my hope was that if you're a Christian, you'll realize that we, we have all that we need for life and godliness in the scriptures. Um, and, and as Paul says in, in Romans uh, 12, 1, that we need to renew our minds daily. And, and knowing that the Bible is sufficient for us to do that, uh, to change how we view the world, to change how we do life in the world, to change how we move in the world. Uh, we have all of that um, in the scriptures. And I think uh, my hope was that if you are not a Christian, uh, that you come to realize that the worldview that you currently have can help you achieve good things in, in life, but, but ultimately uh, the Christian worldview is better. And why it's better? Um, again, it's because of Jesus. Um, and by the time we get to Ephesians 5, um, I think in Ephesians uh, 1, 2, and 3, if I'm not mistaken, Paul um, is, has flashed out what the gospel is, as good news of what Jesus has come to do for us. And then in 4, 5, um, uh, I think towards the end, then he gives us practical implications of what, what that means. And so what I was trying to do there is to say that because of um, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, he has uh, called us to a, a better way of doing life um, than, than, than anything else that sets itself up against the, the, the Christian worldview. Um, and so the standard for the Christian then becomes higher in how we do life. Um, so we, we, we see in Ephesians 5.3 where Paul says that not even sexual immorality must be named among the saints. So, so let alone not just do it, but it shouldn't even be named among the saints. Um, and, and so I think that gives us uh, a higher standard. You know? So when people say that the church is slow in engaging cultural issues, um, what I was trying to bring out from Ephesians 5 is that we're not slow. Paul is calling us not to just be concerned about the goal, um, so whether the goal is justice, equality, or doing right um, by, by people, but the process is equally important, um, again, because of the death, uh, life, and resurrection of Jesus. So I don't just, as a Christian, um, pursue justice but I need, to perform, I need to act justly in the process of pursuing justice. Um, I don't just look for equality as a goal, but I need to treat people I disagree with equally um, as image bearers in the pursuit of achieving equality between us. Um, and, so, and so politics is not just, again, um, formal politics, putting an X in the ballot paper, but it's, it's encompassing of all of life. And the Christian is called to live life um, in light of the truth of what Jesus has done for us. Um, so if Jesus did not come, Jesus did not live, die, Jesus did not rise from the grave, sure, then we can, we can live life however. Um, but because he has, he changes our worldview, changes how we move in the world. Um, and so, and so we, we are called to a higher standard. We're not slow. We just need to be very considerate um, and, and live in light of that truth. Um, so, so that's, um, I think, in a nutshell, what I was trying to bring out um, from, from that. And I think I'll end here. 
that with most worldviews uh, and all worldviews see a problem in the world uh, and we try and fix the problem, uh, but with most worldviews, um, they, they identify the problem within creation. Uh, but the Christian worldview says that the problem, um, yes, there's something wrong with creation, but the Christian worldview rightly acknowledges uh, that there's this horrible force, power, poison called sin uh, that affects us, and it's this truth that we, we have rebelled against God, separated from, from him, who's the source of life and all that is good. And because of that, then all of that gets, everything else that we do in the world gets affected. Relationships between men and women, between black and white people, between locals and, and, and immigrants, uh, all those relationships get affected because of this thing called sin. Um, and all other worldviews will try and find the solution within creation. Um, so if the problem is white people, we look to blacks to try and solve that. If the problem is with foreigners, we look to locals. If the problem is with men, we look to women. Uh, but the Christian worldview uh, says those solutions are not going to be sufficient. You need a solution outside of creation, not within creation. Um, and that solution is Jesus, who steps into creation. Um, he steps into time. And that's why the Christian worldview is better than any other worldview that tries to set itself up against the Christian worldview. Um, yeah. Amen. Don't you think if, if they could just do this every week, do their whole sermon in five to ten minutes, it would just be a lot easier, right? All right, so uh, my, uh, my topic was actually what is the church. So it was also pretty much in the beginning. It came just after Royden's sermon. Um, and it was fitting because um, I couldn't actually really do my sermon without that groundwork that Royden did from Ephesians 1, verse 1 to, uh, 1 to four 13, no, 14. Uh, so so that what I did was I basically just gave a definition of what the church is uh, from Ephesians 4, verses 1. Uh, to 16, and the definition is that it's uh, it's God's united people under God's word being taught by his teachers, and as that word is taught, it's taught by the church to other people in the church, and all of the church together grows in Christian maturity, so that's a mouthful, but if you picture it this way, uh, the church is this, is that it's God's word coming down, and as it comes down to us, it's being taught by his teachers and when that word changes us then we teach it to one another in the church and so the whole church grows up into uh and matures in christ and um what i spent most of the time in the sermon in the sermon was just looking at uh if paul says this is how we mature in christ then if we're not part of the church we're taking away a really fundamental way in which god grows us in christ which means you backslide. Uh, and so then I just kind of explored why would you why would you backslide if you uh, why would you backslide if you weren't part of church? And so we just looked at a couple of things and we said one is um, the first thing is it's your identity. Um, so if uh, another way of say re saying Royden's sermon is is that as that's God's cosmic plan for the world, uh, it's also God's I it's God's but it's your identity. It's what you become when you become a Christian. You become uh, a, f a member in God's family under Je under Jesus, and you become someone who has other brothers and sisters. Um, and so the reason why I mention that is because when you become a Christian, you don't just have a relationship between you and God. You're also saved into a relationship with other believers. 
So therefore, if you're not part of church and you're doing the Christian thing on your own, you're removing a big portion of your identity, uh, your need to be with other believers. And so I kind of s- said there, you will, you will actually very likely feel like something is missing in your life if you're trying to do Christianity by yourself. Uh, and there was a couple of other things that we, we mentioned. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them because I don't think there's uh, enough time. I spent about a good 20 minutes of the sermon just like uh, hitting, hitting in on this. But, but just know that the big idea there is that um, church is actually part of who you are. Uh, so if you if you're not attending church, it's it's actually if someone ever asks you, can a Christian survive without going to church? It's most likely no, <laughs> because it's part of who you are, because it's a massive tool that God uses to grow you. I think I'll leave it there. Thanks. Appreciate that, brother. Um, I think just for the for the sake of time, we'll, we'll jump straight into it. Um, gentlemen, if, if we could be brief. Because there's a bunch of questions, um, but we'll we'll jump straight into it. Rough, this is yours. Um, how do I practically guard my heart against? No, sorry, it's Reggie's. Um, I just saw sex there. Um, <laughs> Reg, <laughs> how do I practically guard my heart against prejudice while facing discrimination? Hmm. That's, a, that's a very good one. Um, so, if you guys remember last week, um, I gave us two scenarios. I said, on the one side, often you find that you are the one that uh, thinks someone is acting prejudiced towards you. Uh, You think they're discriminating against you. Often that's what happens. And sometimes the other person is acting in that way. And if you remember last week, I said, one of the best things we could do at that moment, especially if it's within the church, one, I think it is worthwhile to give someone the benefit of the doubt. Because here's the chance. Because you are prejudiced, you could be thinking they're discriminating against you whilst they're not. So give them the benefit of the doubt. And if you remember anything I said last week, I said one of the important things we see in Ephesians is that God has made us one new humanity, a church, a family. So one of the things you need to do is then go to the person and then figure out how do we have this conversation Especially if it's within the church. How do we have the conversation so that uh, I'm able to see why have you acted in this way towards me? And because I understand that God has embraced me. When I look at the sin of the other person, I do not think their sin is much greater than mine. But because I know they are sinful, I'd want to help them as a Christian so that they're able to walk past their sinfulness or their prejudice. So you remember I pointed a few times, I said, yes, we we, we should be careful of trying to figure out people's motives. But because we know we are all sinful, we should be comfortable enough to approach the person and ask, is it possible that this is what happened? We are a family. We should talk. Is it possible this is what happened? If it's not, then you, you're in a good place to be able to forgive the person or rather let the whole thing go. But if the person, if it's true, then you're able to have the conversation with the person and figure out, how do I forgive the, the grievous sin you've caused against me, and how do I help you to move past this sin? So remember I said we're a family, and we need to figure out how we help each other with this. But now if it's in the workspace, if it's in the workspace, one, the person is not a Christian, they, their life is not lived under the submission of King Jesus, so it's very hard for you to try and figure out, how can I help this person to embrace me? But it does not mean in the workspace that you don't go and, 
and talk about this. In the workspace, you have HR and all, 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 all kinds of things that you can use in that office space to figure out how do we work past this, this whole thing that has just happened now. But if it's in the church, we have relationships. Let's speak. Last week I said, we think speaking about sin makes the power of the gospel look smaller. But actually, we miss out that actually when we speak about sin and are quite open about it and see people's lives change, that's when we actually see the power of the gospel. So when that person's life is changed and they realize that they've sinned against you or you, you, you realize you were the one who's wrong, that's where you see the power of the gospel. So I remember I said it's a back and forth thing, it's a relational thing, and we need to figure out how to handle it. I hope that was brief, unless someone wants to jump in. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, no more questions for Reggie. Uh, <laughs> Raf, um, how does one speak to their future spouse about purity in marriage if they are not pure going into the marriage? Um, and I think coupled with that, um, is not going into marriage pure sin as a scene as a deal breaker? Um, sin, um, because that's, yeah, because the Bible obviously says we shouldn't have sex before marriage. How does one speak to their future spouse about purity in marriage if they are not pure going into, uh, marriage? Um. It's a very good question. Um, <laughs> you, it's always good. It's always good to have the, 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 the broader context, but just from what I see here, how does one speak to their future spouse about purity in marriage if they are not pure going into marriage? So the question is, um, why do you want to speak to your future spouse about purity? So. I, I assume by then um, maybe you are already a Christian. Uh, that's why uh, you want to speak about purity. Um, that's 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 what I assume. Um, and how does one speak about it? Um, well, I guess <laughs> very interesting. Um, yes. <laughs> so um, I think openly and honestly mm. um, because if you if your marriage is built on a foundation of half truths um, it doesn't bode well marriage is hard enough you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have reasons to to ask for forgiveness you're gonna make enough blunders um, you're going to um, there's gonna be enough sin in your lives um, going forward that you will need to confess. Uh, so I would strongly recommend that you start on an even keel, that you start with openness and transparency. Otherwise, if you don't, uh, one sec secret will lead to another and it'll compound itself. Uh, now listen, you need to be wise about this. Um, so you need to consult with, with um, Christian brothers and sisters, that goes back to us being in a family, um, and those who, are, who have been married, and those who understand marriage, uh, so I would say you need, to, you need to really talk it through and pray it through with those who have a lot of discretion and also a lot of discernment, and um, because you don't need to, um, the way you convey this, you, you, 
want to do it in as gentle a way as possible. And you want to, you, you don't need to go with every gory detail. Um, but you do need to share with your spouse, listen, I, I am broken and, um, and I have done these things and I want you to know because I want to build our marriage on a basis of trust. And, um, and I don't, so, so Rafa must come in here, but very briefly for me, I don't think it's a deal breaker because mm. what about all the other sin in your life? Mm. No one will ever get married. That's the bottom line. Um, so, so remember, we are new creatures in Christ. He has a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so if you embrace the forgiveness as two people who are, you know, it's a, it's a white wedding. Um, you, you, you come in the purity. You come clothed in the purity of Christ. That's the only purity you have when you walk down that aisle and so um, you can embrace that forgiveness as a couple and and that that is such a because it's such an intimate thing that you're sharing it really does open up um, the way for intimacy going forward it really does and 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 you want to this person is your closest companion in life and she is your sister in Christ or your brother in Christ and so you want to walk in the light with this person so I think it's actually a great gospel opportunity. It really is. Thanks, Rafa. Thanks, Roy, for that. I think this should have been your topic. Um, and again, remember, so when uh, you, uh, we're going into marriage, it's two sinful people who are getting together. Uh, so no one is perfect, but we are trusting in Jesus uh, for the forgiveness of our sins and uh, move forward. And again, as Royden said, so... Honesty is very important because you are starting something new uh, between the two of you and you want to build uh, your marriage uh, under God's headship. Uh, so it's not just marriage for marriage, it's Christian marriage. And uh, because of that, uh, honesty is important and wisdom on how you address some of those issues um, as you move uh, together. I, I would just add, uh, maybe just as a thing of wisdom, um, because the question says, you know, this person you're about to get into a marriage with, and I think that's key, so that you're just not telling your boyfriend, and then you break up, and you tell your next boyfriend, and then you break up, and you tell your next, you know what I mean? So I'm like, it should be clear, right? We've said we're getting married, we're doing marriage, marriage counseling, this thing is happening. Um, just to protect your own heart, you know, because what if that person is not just passing and you've been dating for two days and suddenly you're like, oh, let me tell you everything about my life. And then you break up and then you have to go tell the next girl the same thing. So I think it's clear you're getting married. Um, then I would, I would do what the gentlemen have said. Um, Rector, uh, the question says, is it wrong or sinful for a Christian to want wealth? How's that my question? <laughs> 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 Just place yourself under the lordship of Jesus. <laughs> sure. Um, is it wrong to want wealth? Mm. Define want. Um, so, we always say this, but it's true. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Mm. Um, why? 
it is such a dangerous idol in our lives. And you can't serve two gods. You cannot serve two gods. And in our context, this is the city of gold, people. Mm. And so um, you know, just as well as I do, this is a major idol for us. It really is. So is it wrong to want wealth? Listen, God is going to give you wealth beyond your wildest imagining, just not now. (laughs) (laughs) So so you, you and I, you and I are going to inherit the universe. Amen. We are going to be kings and queens. But to make sure we know what we're doing when we get there, he may well give us a life of, of struggle. He may well. We may not be able to. He will never tempt us beyond what we can handle. Mm. And so it's such a complex thing because this is such a powerful idol for us. And, and we, have to, we have to be so careful about our motives and our heart's motives. And, and don't, don't accept your first answer to yourself. Don't, because, it's, because the heart is an idol factory. And, and this sin is so subtle. And so we have to be so careful, and we have to work this out again in community, and we have to, we have to constantly test our motives. Why do I want this wealth? When I say I want wealth, what am I saying? And, and what if I don't get the wealth? Then what? And what am I prepared to do to get the wealth? So, it's not an easy topic. Um, And I think what gives us coordinates on everything is am I living under the saving lordship of Jesus? Because the thing I omitted when I, when I spoke about my talk is why is God putting everything under the saving lordship of Jesus Christ? And what you see there is a catalog of blessing. It's just blessing after blessing after blessing. This is how God is blessing you. So that you can bless him. So there's two reasons he does it. One is because, as Reggie said in Reggie's language, it's the good life to live under Jesus. Mm. It's the good life to live under Jesus. Wealth or no wealth. It is the good life. And secondly, it's for God's glory. And God's glory and our good always coincide. Our true good. And so let's be satisfied in Jesus. And then if wealth comes, we will know what to do with it. If we don't have it, it will simply corrupt. That's good. Um, this question says, politics is a dirty game. It seems like it's a join them or get spewed, um, even to the point of death. So is our main mandate to pray for the corrupt leaders and hope God will change them? Or should we join actively and carry the cross, even if it means dying on the mission? Hectic. That's you, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, I think again, the, the Christian worldview will make it clear, you know, that because of sin, 
all of life is affected, uh, all of life is broken, um, and so and we know that just by being together, you know. Um, so we're not we're not oblivious um, that that all of life is is tainted by sin. Politics, we see it clearly, you know, with how guys promise us stuff, they don't deliver, they lie. So so we can clearly see uh, that all of life is 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 broken. Um, I do think though that. Um, our main mandate is to pray at all times, and that's how we that's how we we do all of life um, as Christians. Uh, we weren't saved with our own strength. We don't live by our own strength, um, and so we we do everything um, on our knees. So so we should pray because of the brokenness in the world. We should pray for our politicians. We should pray um, for our leaders at at our at our work. We should pray for our leaders in our community, leaders at church. Um, everywhere, um, and and I think we should be moved uh, in our hearts to do so because we're seeing how broken the world is, and that's not how God intended the world to be. But we know that sin has has corrupted everything. So so the Christian worldview compels us um, to do all of life on our knees. Um, so I don't think it's a it's a question of of whether we pray or just get active. Um, in, in politics, and I guess the question is probably addressing formal politics, that we get active in formal politics so we pray. No, we pray all the time, right? Uh, that's, that's our first mandate. That's our posture as Christians. We pray all the time um, because, because that's, we depend on God um, and we know that he's sovereign over all things. Um, then I think from praying, um, I think we should get active. Um, if, it, if it's formal politics, I think let's, let's get in there. Because if what Royden said in his first talk is true and that God is uniting everything under Christ, um, we have the privilege that God has chosen us to partner with him in how he redeems all of, all of life. And that's in education, in art, uh, formal politics, um, in the medical field, wherever we find ourselves. If you're an accountant, you're a lawyer, um, God has placed you there um, so that he, he can uh, want reach out to the souls that are there who are lost. Um, but as he does that, and that there's, there's Christians there, the culture there will change. Um, uh, processes of how things are done will, change, will, will be changed because Christians are actively thinking about um, what God is doing in the world and we, we applying the Christian worldview and how we do our work and how we do art and how we do education, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I think we should get, get involved um, everywhere we find ourselves and actively do so. But the first thing we do is, is, is pray. And John 17, I think, is very clear, you know, the high priestly prayer where Jesus says um, that he prays that God does not take us out of the world, but he leaves us in the world. Um, and, and, and he prays that, that we, get, we get sanctified with the word, you know. So as we, as we stay in the world, wherever uh, we are, um, in whatever space we're in, uh, let's remember not to do that on our own, but to do it with God's word, to do it in prayer, to do it in the church, the community that God has brought us around. You know, so you don't have to, you don't have to feel like a maverick or or a superhero, and that you're gonna go change your office space tomorrow. You might get crushed, comrade. But uh, there's family. You know, when stuff is tough, come. Let's pray together. Let's strategize. Let's let's encourage each other. Um, there might be things that you're not seeing because you're just heavily involved in, in, in the particular space or culture or area that you're in. Um, and you can have godly brothers and sisters around you who will, who will help advise you.
but let's get our hands dirty. Um, I think that's that's what God has has called us to do as He as He redeems the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, hey, hey, it's another sex question. We'll come back to it. Uh, Mags, why or what should I do if I have been hurt by the church? Okay, let's run away. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good question. It's a good question. Um, So, I think to couch that question and the the right answer um, is that if you remember that church is who you are, then you can't, first of all, run away from the church. And what I mean by that is not run away from your specific church, but you, can't run, you shouldn't run away from the church um, in general. And, uh, and so you've got to think of it this way. Um, so here's my advice to you is if you're in a family, right, uh, like in your, your, your uh, biological family, um, if someone hurts you within your family, it's hard to run away, right? You've, you've, you've got to deal with it. Um, and in some cases, people do manage to run away, but it's really difficult. Why? Because your family is part of who you are. And, uh, and so the same should be with your church as well. If you are experiencing hurt from the church, then your first, your first port of call is to actually deal with it. Um, and, uh, and often, the reason I say that is because often the first thought people have is the moment they're unhappy with something that's happening in church, they just, I'm going to a new church. And we, we kind of treat church almost like we uh, treat other service providers, you know. I don't get reception with CLC, I'm moving to MTN, you know. So, well, I'm not really having, the preacher doesn't preach so well in this church, or I'm going to move to another church. Um, and, and so, what, because we treat church, churches like they're service providers, oh, um, <laughs> uh, are we supposed to be ending soon? And he's just kind of telling me, is he just hinting? He's hurting us. <laughs> All right. I'll be brief then. Um, so, so if the church is hurting you, like your family, you can't treat it like a service provider and jump to a new family. You should try and deal with it. Uh, and then, and then it, this, this is where it gets easier because uh, in Matthew 18, in fact, actually, Royden led us as a church staff through uh, Matthew 18 where he talks about how to deal with things like conflict. Uh, y- you can kind of do the same thing if someone within the church has hurt you, according to the wisdom of Matthew 18. You don't, you, the, here's, the, here's the thing, you don't go and talk to everybody else and go, oh my goodness, uh, did you hear what Black, what Black did? Oh, you know. You don't do that. You actually go straight to the person. You speak to them, and you say, listen, this is what hurt. And you can do that because they're family. Uh, another thing uh, that you can do is if you just feel that perhaps a preacher or a pastor at, at here at our church said something that you found offensive, you can go speak to them. I've had people that have come and done that to me, and I've, it is actually you find what happens is some, most times a preacher doesn't actually know that they've said something offensive because we're human as well. We make mistakes. And so it's great when you come and chat to us. Um, and, and when you do that, you also, if, if you raise your issues, I promise you, we, we love it because it means that we can keep you in the flock. And that's what we want. We don't want you to go. Um, I think I've said enough. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I've said enough. I think yeah.
Um, um, Sorry, can I say one more thing? Sorry. Can I? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think if, you, if you're thinking or if you know people who uh, are struggling in their church, they should, they should do these kinds of things. I think the only, maybe so you guys can comment on this because maybe I'm wrong. So you tell me if I'm wrong, okay? Uh, Macau, I can take it. But I think the only, the only time you should ever uh, really leave the church or is, is if they're not teaching the Bible, they're not teaching God's word. And I think even, in, yeah, I think in a situation of abuse or something like that, I think that's a good reason to leave. You guys, any comments on that? Uh, the only thing I would say is um, there's a guy called Ngosim Lambo who's written two, actually three great articles on the Gospel Coalition about abuse in the church and how the church should consider tackling this topic. I would encourage you to go and listen to, to go and read those articles, rather. They're very brilliant articles. Um, they'll add on to the, to the great wisdom that uh, Gareth has given us. So if you want to read something, go get that. Dope. Uh, Coalition Africa, by the way. Yeah. Come to me if you uh, need a plug. Um, this question says, what should unity between different churches look like? What should unity between different churches look like? I think, uh, I think the first, actually the question behind that, which is should, should churches be united? And then what? So that's a, that's a good question. Okay, okay we're going to have a conference for that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that needs a lot of unpacking. Okay, are we leaving it? <laughs> Look, okay, uh, I can take a swing. Um, yeah, sure. I don't want to be the only one talking. Um, so, so yes, the, I think churches should be working together and striving together. Um, and um, I think what, what there should be, though, is uh, understanding between those churches. Um, so, so something that I've found helpful is uh, you get those... Um, Okay, so something that, uh, that is quite helpful um, is, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, the phrase of saying open-hand doctrines and, and closed-hand doctrines. That's the right phrase, I've got it right. So, so what are, doctrines are, are, are things that we believe as Christians, and uh, there are certain things that we agree on and disagree on. Um, the closed-hand doctrines are things that we will, we will are non-negotiables for us. Um, so it, it'll be things like that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Mm. Um, we'll say things like um, that the word is, is God's, unf uh, it's, it's God's word, and it's infallible. Uh, there's a couple of other truths that we'll have, and then there are truths that are open-hand truths which, which we don't mind disagreeing on. It might be things like on some of the roles of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it might even be things like... Um, do we raise our hands when we sing or do we not? I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm spitballing. Um, these kinds of things, we, we would happily work, uh, so we would probably have quite close relationships, and we do have close relationships with other churches who, who we theologically agree on. Other churches, we, we would probably happily work with them on some things uh, if, uh, if they disagree on major, major things, but I don't think we would work with them all the time. Um, because otherwise what would happen is there would be fights and things like that, which is not great for God's, God's kingdom. Just to add uh, to Gareth, um, so 
I think um, what should uh, unity within the church look like? Um, so you think, for instance, you are a student and you want to go to study, let's say, in Rhodes, um, and this was, this was your home church. And we know of a good Baptist church uh, in that area. So we can easily recommend you because we know that they stand by the Bible just like we do. Think about the Gospel Coalition and the Gospel Coalition Africa. That's another way that uh, churches try to, to work together because we all try to reach out for the lost. Uh, so if we stand all by the Bible and we know that, um, you know, we don't compromise about that, so we can easily um, um, work together in terms of, you know, reaching out to the lost. So those are just some practical aspects on how it looks like when church has to work together. Top, thanks for that, Ruff and Mags. Um, this question says, uh, coincidentally, after your sermon, uh, this is to the Right Reverend Regila Mick, um, my company wanted us to complete a program on um, bias, which touched on most of the isms you, you spoke about. Uh, all was fine until they got to gender. In the church, there's male and female, and that's that. But the world has more extensions, which are contrary to Christianity, transgender, etc., etc. So how do we navigate uh, this with love, uh, but not conformity? Very good question. And I think the question almost answers itself, doesn't it? It does answer itself. Because one of the things the person has made clear is, the Christian, as people who not only experience the love of God, we are called to be loving towards others. Um, and it is actually possible to love someone, but not actually affirm their stance. It's possible to love them. It's possible to not treat them differently. Still love them as someone who's made in the image of God. So one of the things that's clear in the scriptures is all of us. All of us are made in the image of God. But what we know is Genesis 3 has tainted how we see that very image. So all of us are broken in many ways, um, broken sexually, broken in many other ways. But I think what we often tend so, I think, highlight as a church. Now, someone can crucify me on this one. I think what we tend to do as a church is, I think often we are not so good at loving those of a different sexual orientation. I think that's what we often do. Uh, I think very easily we exclude but one of the things I've seen now this might sound like sound like we're pumping up our church but one of the things I've seen here is, is exactly that that you, you you would see someone who's got a different sexual orientation who's loved in the church loved by others realizing that they are sinful and realizing that person needs the gospel as much as I do and I'll tell you what I've seen often Often what I've seen, and I'm saying this because I've seen it in, even uh, in a student ministry uh, when I was there at one point. What you would see is that very person will realize that actually, just like everyone else, they need the gospel. They need to be saved. And so very often that person will decide, although they struggle with all these different emotions that they feel, and, and at times it's so hard to dispute that because it's, it's, it's emotions that they feel. They feel an attraction towards another person. That person, because they've come to know the gospel and because they see how those in the church have come to love them, to, 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 to show them the love of Christ, that very person, often, what I've seen is, the person will say, they'll fight their urges as everyone else does. 
the urge to steal, the urge to lie. That person will fight it. And it's, it's, it's not easy. It's the hardest of things. But here's the thing. I think that's where you see the power of the gospel. Where you see someone who says, because Jesus is king, and I want to live a life that is submitted under him, I'm going to put everything else aside for his sake. It's amazing when you see that. But I think often what we need to think about is, do we actually mistreat people of a different sexual orientation? And I think often we can tend to exclude them. We can tend to treat them differently. And that reveals something about our own heart. And perhaps how we've not, been, how we've not embraced the gospel as much as we think we have. Um, I think our tendency to exclude others shows how we have not actually embraced the same gospel that Jesus has given us. And when we embrace that gospel, we begin to treat uh, people differently. In the workspace, it should be that the Christian is the person who is known for loving people who are broken. Because God sends us to those people in order to take the gospel to them. And taking the gospel to them is not just preaching, but loving them, serving them. And I think if we do more of that, if we do more of serving and loving people and building relationships, you'd be amazed at what you would see. At this moment, I, would, I, would, I wish there was someone here on the panel um, who actually does this much better than most people I know. Um, I know this person often goes far beyond what anyone else does. She goes beyond to just build a relationship with someone who's different. And if there's anything that everyone knows about her, is that she loves people. And she loves all people. If she had the opportunity to come up, I would have loved for her to actually tell of how she often does this. And it's beautiful to see. It's wonderful to hear her tell her stories, how she goes to bars, how she goes to hang out with people. It is amazing to see the power of the gospel at work in her life. Can I add quite quickly? Yeah. Um, Gareth's passage in Ephesians 4 talks about us as a community that speaks the truth in love. Mm-hmm. Mm. Truth and love always hold together. Mm. And there is no love without truth. Mm. You're not loving someone if you don't tell them the truth. There is no truth that doesn't express itself in love. Mm. It's not the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. If it's cold, hard, heavy, orthodox, and that's Mm. all. So those two things always hold together. And we are called to be a community that speaks the truth in love. And especially, that, that for me comes into such sharp focus on this issue, which is a great question, by the way, because mm. I think we're going to face this more and more and more. We have to speak the truth in love. Mm. I think Reggie really unpacked what that looks like. But if you want a, a something short that summarizes um, what our calling is in this area, I think it's that, speaking the truth in holding those two things together Mm. because you can't actually separate them. Mm. They die when Mm. you separate them. Mm. Both Mm. of them die. Great. Um, I think for the sake of time, um, there's two more questions. There's a couple of honorable mentions that I want to bring up. They have nothing to do with any of the things we spoke about, but I think they're just worth asking. (laughs) Why are you pointing and writing? Anyway, this... Uh, question says, on sexual purity and boundaries, how far is too far? Yo, that's too far, baby. 
It's too far. Right? The, fact, the fact that you asked the question, you've gone too far. Yeah. You are far. <laughs> uh, I think. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, yeah. Ruff, you wanna you wanna take it? How far is too far? It's already too far. Um, <laughs> so I guess in terms of uh, sexual purity, so first of all, we need to control our mind. Uh, well, not control, really control, but um, ask God to help us uh, because. I think I think it all starts in our in, in our mind, uh, in our heart. Um, when we think of things, um, so you know, you may. Uh, I'm just reflecting again on the sermon that we had this morning, uh, the pure in heart. Uh, so you may think that you know, um, because you're not uh, involved into physical um, sexual activity, uh, and uh, uh, you can think that you know you are fine, uh, but uh, you're not fine if uh, you're not pure in heart, if in within you, uh, that's all you think about. Um, so I, I guess it starts in your heart, uh, it starts in your mind, and uh, we need to really uh, ask God to take control of that. And that means, uh, how what do we feed our minds with? What do we feed our heart with? Um, because that's where everything starts. Um, so if, if if you can be able to pray about your heart, uh, if you can be able to ask God to help you control that, um, and I guess the way you relate to, to other people, um, the way you, you talk, or, uh, the way you, uh, you, know, you relate to, to the people next to you, uh, you should be uh, able to, um, to, find the, the right way of doing it just because of you understand who you are first. Um, uh, the question is, uh, how far is far? Uh, if in your, in your heart, if in your mind you know that uh, you, you struggle with that, it's already far. Uh, mm. Even before it comes to physical, even before it comes to what you see. Um, so I think that's where everything starts. Uh, so it's all within us, our heart, our mind. That's where everything needs to uh, to be dealt with before it even goes uh, out. Uh, so I think that's what we need to be uh, praying for, for ourselves, uh, that God will really guide our heart and mind. And of course, uh, what do we nourish our mind and our, uh, our thoughts with? Um, you know, as I said earlier on, with your phone, you can already, you can already sin just because of what pops in uh, in your phone. And of course, when that starts already, uh, you're already far, even before you, you come into action. Uh, uh, that's uh, Matthew 5, 28, right? uh, when you look at a woman lustfully, you've already sinned. Mm. So it's already far, <laughs> according to the words of Jesus. Mm. So if you think about it, uh, so when you ask how far is far, you already know the answer that <laughs> if in your heart <laughs> um, you already entertain those kind of things and and you think about this, when Paul, uh, like mentioned, when Paul told the, uh, the Christians in Ephesus that uh, not only you should not get yourself involved into that, but you should not entertain uh, the thinking or the talking uh, about sex mm. inappropriately. Uh, because if you entertain that, it can lead to that. So Paul is setting the standard very high. Uh, so not only involved physically, but thinking about it inappropriately, talking about it inappropriately, 
It's already far, if I can put it that way. Hallelujah. I think if we were a charismatic church, this would be a, a sermon titled, How Far Is Too Far, Mr. Lan? The question is not how far is too far uh, in sexual boundaries. The question is how far is too far from Jesus? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because if you're far from Jesus, Mzalwane, you are close to the thing you're not supposed to touch. Hallelujah. <laughs> and once you're far from the thing you're not supposed to touch, you are close to Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. How far is too far from God? That's the question. Hallelujah. of time um, and this uh, this is for all of us and we can we can be brief we can <laughs> Max show us what brief is we'll start with you right. <laughs> how has the church done well or not um, as it relates to the topics that we have discussed so how has the church done well uh, in being a church um, or when it comes to sex or politics um, or any other things we spoke about? How has the church done well or not? And where can we find certainty and hope um, in light of some of the failures in the church? Sure. Um, this is like a really broad question. Because um, mm. first of all, you know, what, what does the person mean when they say the church as well? Are they talking about you know, our church specifically or the church at large? Um, and you can't obviously answer that for every church, but um, so I think, oh, I suppose to a degree you can. Um, there's very uh, so I'll just pick up on on some points that I've noticed is uh, so the other thing is that the church is us. We are the church. So you've got to keep that in your head that we as Christians are the church. Um, it's not the building, and uh, and. In, I go by that definition that I used. It's God's united people being taught by his teachers. Um, I, I think we're... So, so I'm just going to mention one because I think there's not enough time. Um, is in Acts, um, after the church actually comes together for the first time. So remember in Acts, Peter gives that massive sermon after the Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit lands on the people. And then 3,000 people get saved that day in a mass conversion. And then afterwards, it talks about what the church life was like. And it said that they had everything in common. And uh, I, I find that that's probably a big thing that we're lacking today is because of the fact that we have this thinking that Christianity is between us and God. And we forget about the fact that it's equally about us and other human beings. Us ser serving and loving them. Remember, our, our identity is a redeemed family of servants on mission. Most Christians tend to only think we're redeemed. They forget about the fact that who they are is someone who is part of a Christian family, serving other Christians and ministering to the world. And so we've forgotten that. And so because of that, we don't, we don't live lives sharing everything we have in common. Um, so we mentioned the question about wealth. Should you, should you strive for wealth? Um, I think you should be as a Christian only ever keeping the money that you need and the rest of that should, the rest of what, what you have a, a, as excess should actually be going to your other Christian brothers and sisters. I mean, 
Imagine if we lived like that. Just think about it. There would be no one who was struggling with poverty in our church churches. And, and if you take that to be the whole broad church, that's incredible, right? Imagine if the church was like that. We would be an incredible force. Imagine if we if we focused more on, on other believers and, and gave them ears to, to, to hear our, our struggles and we continually praying for others. I think one of the big things that we would definitely see is we would see God as a more loving God. Because the moment, if, if, God, if your relationship with God is just you and God, then whenever you, he doesn't seem to be doing things in your life, then he's not, he's not very loving. But if, he, if he, you feel like he's not doing much in your life, but you can see how he's helped those people at church, or you can see how the money's been given to those people, and they, they, you can see lives being fixed, marriages being fixed, uh, things like this, then you're going to see God as a really loving God. So, uh, yeah, that's just, I'll, I'll just hit on that one. Be brief. I'll try. So, I mean, one of the things you've heard over and again is that the church is uh, the community that God has chosen to show his great wisdom. Uh, but one of the things I said last week was, although the church is this new creation, because we are on this side of the new heavens and the new creation, the church has the sign on top under construction. Mm. So King Jesus is renewing us daily. So where is our hope found? Our hope is found in this King who's renewing the church daily in order to cause us to live for his mission. I think the church, because the head of the church, Jesus, is perfect, he's pure, uh, he's sovereign, our greatest hope in the church is our King. Our King is the reason we can be dead certain that God will continue to use the church. Because our king is sovereign. So we have this sign of us under construction. And our king is at work. Dope. Um, I think um, I think sometimes out of our frustration, we would... And somebody said this at, the, at our meeting on Wednesday with the tribe. Uh, we, can, we can falsely accuse the church of not having done anything throughout history. Um, and I think if, if that's the case, then... The implication is that Jesus has been sleeping, um, and we know he hasn't. He has been using his church throughout history. Um, and so I think we, we, can, we can look at some of those things and celebrate and praise the Lord for how he's used his church. Um, but I think we can be honest as well where we've seen the church fail. Um, and so when I think of our own church, uh, the Lord has been gracious to us. And I think the fact that we still preach Jesus from our, from our pulpits says that we know and recognize that uh, we haven't arrived. We're not a perfect church and we're in desperate need of this Jesus. Um, um, we've been alive for 27 years as a church and the only way we're still standing is because of Jesus. The only way we'll still stand um, for the next 27 years is because of Jesus. Um, and I think if we are convinced otherwise, uh, then we're going to start dying a very slow death. Um, and so because of Jesus, um, there's hope that we can improve in areas that, uh, that we are failing in. Uh, areas of success, I think, again, not um, to our glory at all, but to Christ's glory. 
um, is we've seen just some of the ministries that have come out of, the, of, of this church. Uh, earlier on, we spoke of Grief Share um, and just how many people have gotten to know Jesus through that ministry and been loved by Jesus and how Grief Share has been instrumental in helping people um, deal with grief and, and, and help them um, to, to, to feel loved and live as people who are loved by Christ. Divorce care, there's countless stories of people who came to the church um, through through afford divorce care and met Jesus there um, and and got saved. Uh, we have the the school here. We have Nogupila. Uh, we have the Care and Crisis Center. Um, and so there's there's countless things that God, in His grace and His and His mercy, um, has enabled this church um, to do. Um, have we arrived again? No, we, we, we're not there. Um, and so we can do better in equipping each other. And when I think of my own um, topic that I spoke of, we can do a better job of equipping each other to to be more uh, energized to go into our, to our various spaces and really live um, um, as, uh, as Christians. And what I mean there is just critically think through the various uh, spaces that we're in. You know, and, and obviously uh, that means we get people who are in those spaces to help us think through uh, how those spaces look like. And therefore, we can then implement the gospel and, and the Christian worldview in those spaces. Um, and so we can grow in that regard. You know, so, so we need to get the church again. That's us. So whatever space that you're in and you feel like, hey, um, I don't know how to implement the gospel here. I don't, I don't see how it's going to be possible. Just come chat to us. And let's open the scriptures again. There's all that we need for life and godliness there. And let's see how we can, uh, we, we can help you walk as a Christian um, critically, specifically in that, in that area that you're in. Because you might feel like the church is failing there because that's where you are. you heavily invested um, and you feel like, well, you guys are not talking to where I'm at. You there. You're a Christian. Come chat to us. Let's see how we can, we can walk there. So I think there's plenty of room to improve um, in, in other areas, um, but we need to do it as a family. Yeah, Rafa can. <laughs> uh, just to add one last thing uh, before I pray for, yeah. okay, before I pray for us, um, I, I think one of the things we can thank God for, uh, especially looking at our church, is that um, He has been faithful to us in the way that uh, week after week, uh, month after month, the gospel has been taught um, in various ways from the pulpit, from the different meetings that we gather, and I think, so we, we take that for granted, but um, uh, it's not that's what happens. Uh, we really want to thank God for that, because um, that's why we, uh, we can grow, that's why we can become a family, because the gospel of Christ has been proclaimed uh, faithfully, and we really want to thank God for that. Uh, and of course, a uh, few things that we do, like a session like this where we can engage and talk about uh, these kind of topics uh, it's because we know that these are the things we struggle with uh, and as a church we really want to hold each other's hand so that we can move uh, in the right direction as we uh, we draw closer to our uh, King Jesus uh, of course as Black said we haven't arrived uh, there is a lot, thing, a lot of things that we still have to uh, to work on uh, but we trust uh, that God uh, will continue to use us you and, and me uh, because we are part of uh, his family uh, just to continue uh, to share the gospel uh, in wherever he has placed us